This podcast is part of the Big Heads Media Podcast Network. Go to BigHeadsMedia.com for more great podcasts. Hello, welcome to episode 10 of the 15 Minutes of Football podcast, or episode 60, actually, of all podcasts associated with Transfer News Central. Uh, and today I'm joined by two legends. Uh, the first, Nishel Schwago Patel. Brilliant journalist, works with a variety of uh, different publications. He even has his own blog. And how are you doing? How are you doing, Nichelle? How are you today? I'm very well. Good to be on the podcast as well. Looking forward to it. Yeah. And and, and also second legend with us. Uh, you just joined today, actually, and it's the uh, Blue Yeti microphone. Um, really happy to have him on board with us today. Uh, it's, it's rare to have two legends on at the same time. And we've also got Jordan here. How are you doing? Hello, everyone. Yeah. Uh, back again. Back again another week. I, I always say, you know, you can't, you can't have three legends on the same show. It's too difficult, but we do do our best. Uh, Jordan pays for the privilege of being in my company. And, you know, we can't, we just can't turn that kind of opportunity down, uh, being, uh, having our budget cut with coronavirus. So uh, thank you for being on again, Jordan. And we accept your money uh, as and when it comes. So, you know, Nichelle's a huge Chelsea fan. He's been going on to games at Stamford Bridge. Over the course of this season, and you know what a produces a remarkable coverage. Uh, again, not only for your blog but for Bcoms as well, I think, and also appearing on the other side of the coin, which I think is quite a, a, an interesting um, Chelsea fan um, slash journalist insightful video meshup that they usually do every week or so. And obviously, it makes sense then, Michelle, to focus primarily for the first two topics at least on Chelsea, and we'll talk a bit about Switzerland and. And uh, and then round off with a bit of European uh, football action from, well, from all over Europe. First question then for you, Michelle. First big topic, Frank Lampard, obviously left the club quite a while ago. Now it feels like a lifetime ago, certainly for me and probably for Jordan. Jordan feels like a while ago. Did Frank's yeah, uh, it's, it's been a fast two months, hasn't it? It's been yeah. a whirlwind, but I think Tuchel's done very well and we're, we're going to discuss a bit of that, aren't we? Essentially, yeah, and no better person to ask, really, than Nichelle, who, you know, supported Chelsea for his entire life, really um, on the front lines, actually, uh, of Chelsea in recent months. And from your point of view, first of all, it was obviously sad when Frank Lampard left, but with every passing game under Thomas Tuchel, I mean, that decision has been well and truly vindicated, hasn't it, by this point? Yeah, absolutely. You know, he's 14 games unbeaten, not lost single game since he's come in and when you consider we lost five of our last eight league games under Frank Lampard it's really remarkable how much we've changed in that time Frank Lampard leaving was a very very difficult decision for all of us you know there was a very small minority of fans who really saw the rational side of it and said less yes the results aren't good enough we need to sack him but for the majority of fans including myself it was painful you know no one wanted to see Frank go I still believed in him I still knew he was capable of doing well for the team bringing us to new heights and maybe even delivering a trophy, but it wasn't meant to be. And the way it panned out was that Lampard was sacked, I think, 11.25am on a Monday, and then Tuchel was hired 6pm on the Tuesday. So it was a really, really quick turnaround. And especially with the news had only broken that Lampard was going to be sacked on the morning that he was eventually fired. You know, there was a really short time for everyone to process their thoughts and kind of regather and think right now what where do we go from here but that also played into our hands you know it wasn't like we had the whole of pre-season a month or so 
you know, um, dither it over who we'd hire and feeling sorry for ourselves. We went straight into business. We came straight into a new game. And Tuchel's done a fantastic job. And, you know, of course, we all feel sad that Lampard's not manager anymore. That's natural for any Chelsea fan. But to see where this team is now, when you consider that we were mid-table on the verge of our eighth, ninth months ago, and now we haven't lost a single game change manager, win a Champions League quarterfinal for the first time in seven years, win a fourth FA Cup semi-final in five years. It's so much credit to Thomas Tuchel for what he's done and how he's changed the team. Yeah, I was going to say, actually, before we get into the specifics of that, uh, of how Tuchel's changed it and what he's done differently, I always feel like when I've heard pundits in the media talking about this and Chelsea's form, um, maybe not so much right now, but only a few games ago, they'd say, oh, but you've got to credit the manager. And many pundits would go, oh, yeah, but Frank could have done this as well. You know, Frank, could have, Frank could have got the team playing well. Frank could have, if he was given time, you know, beaten the teams that Thomas Tuchel had beaten at the time that, you know, a few weeks ago hadn't come up against Manchester United, hadn't come up against Liverpool, Atletico Madrid. And people were saying that even though he's doing well, Lampard could have done the same thing. Do you think almost, well, first of all, that's not true. And secondly, do you think that there's a lot of love, not just from Chelsea fans, but in the media in general, do you think there's a lot of loving with Frank Lampard and a sense of loyalty towards him that means that many have been reluctant to really give Tuchel the praise that he has really deserved? I think for some, there's been a lot of accusations of bias, sometimes in the form of xenophobia, against Tuchel and in favour of Lampard. I don't think it's that extreme or that based on you know what country they come from. But I can see why there's more favour towards Lampard, especially in the club. You know, he's our all-time leading goal scorer, one of our greatest players. We're naturally going to side with Lampard more than, you know, someone who's just come in as a new manager. On the other hand, the English media as well, you know, one of England's finest midfielders, century of cap, brilliant player. Of course, they're going to have a different perspective of him because they've seen him grow up and play for the national team. But that shouldn't discredit Tuchel. I see a lot of his criticism saying Tuchel's done this, but Lampard could too. But we have to be really honest. If we look at the tough run we had, which was let's go two legs, Manchester United, Liverpool, Leeds, Everton. If we look at that run under Lampard and, you know, at the start of the year, a lot of fans were very, very scared and understandably because it was a tough run against teams not only who were in much better form, but also for a team like us, we hadn't been playing well against the big six this season. So would Lampard have stayed unbeaten in that run? No. And you just have to be honest there. I don't think he would have beaten maybe Atletico, maybe, but I'm not sure about the tactical matchup between him and Diego Simeone. Manchester United, we saw we lost quite a few times so in the league. Liverpool, you know, we conceded a shed load of goals to them under Lampard. Lampard wouldn't have stayed unbeaten in that run, and it hurts me to say that, but you have to be honest. Whereas Tuchel didn't even concede a goal in that run. So you're naturally going to make these comparisons between the success from the predecessor and, you know, you're going to be looking at it the whole time. But at the end of the day, they're two separate managers. They're only six years apart. You know, Tuchel is his senior, but he's been in management for, I think it's 13 years longer, which is insane. And while Lampard's got a longer, more successful, decorated playing career, Tuchel is the better manager, is the more decorated manager. That shows at Borussia Dortmund, at Paris Saint-Germain, even at Mainz. You know, we took a very mid-table team up into Europa League places. That takes a special man to do that. So they're different managers in their philosophy, in their style, in their reputation. And that is shown in the first 14 games of Tuchel. And if we want to keep comparing it, the last 14 games of Lampard. 
And what are the specifics then? So obviously, one, the major difference, and I think the reason why people, why it's obvious that Tuchel really has had a stronger impact than Lampard is what you've touched on, much lengthier managerial experience. I think that's shown clearly um, in the in the few months that he's been in charge at Chelsea. But what are the fundamental differences between Tuchel's Chelsea and Lampard's Chelsea in your point of view? We control the game better. Sure, if you look at the possession we play, we're in control, we're dominating the game. And especially in, if we look at the main comparison, I look at it as the last month of Lampard in January and the first month of Tuchel in February. With Lampard, and it's again hard to criticise, but being very honest, his man management was not good enough. You'd see him on the touchline, arms crossed, not saying anything, just watching and almost sulking, which didn't feel right. You know, why would you be a manager on the side, especially when there are no fans? to really help you and urge you on. Why, as you, as the main man, are you just standing by and doing nothing? Tuchel, on the other hand, he is very, very animated, excited, passionate. And you also, you hear him speaking in many different languages. You hear him speaking in German, Timo Werner, in English, Mason Mount, in French, to Kurt Zuma. And, you know, having those different languages really helps you connect with those players. Not to mention, he knew Christian Pulisic from Dortmund. He knew Thiago Silva from PSG. So we had that connection in previous jobs, in languages, in connections, and that's really helped him. But I think especially seeing how they manage the game, Lampard would sometimes never make a change until the 75th minute. I think the worst example of this was Leicester, where we lost 2-0 at the King Power Stadium. We were 2-0 down within 16 minutes, half-time. We come out, you know, needing a big second half, not a single change. Tuchel, on the other hand, Callum Hudson-Odoi came on a half-time. He was off in half an hour. And that shows you the levels between accepting mediocrity and not taking that or anything and taking them off because he didn't like his energy. So there's definite differences in their game management, in their philosophies and in their man management on the touchlines. But I think they do both play that attacking style of football. You know, I think Tuchel to more of an extent and more effectively, but Lampard was trying to do that. It just didn't pay off. But they're very interesting men to compare and contrast to each other. Yeah. I mean, Jordan, you've got some statistics um, that you might want to throw around. You're good with numbers, so enlighten. Yeah. yeah, well, I, I wanted to take a bit of a dive into like what the actual differences were statistically. And I mean, I think we've all seen uh, the, the impact that Tuchel's had defensively, and, and that is backed up by the numbers. And he's been in charge now for 10 league games. Uh, and in those 10 games, he's only conceded two goals, uh, and expected goals against of 4.4, which is... The, the lowest in the league by far. Uh, it's four lower than Manchester City in the same period. Uh, and that's 50% lower than, than that of Lampard's per game, which is a massive difference, obviously. Uh, and it's really showing. I think if he continues that throughout the rest of the season and into next season, then that's, some, that's title-winning form defensively. Uh, whether he continues with the same formation and the same build is something that is up for debate. But that is certainly a strong start for Tuchel and it's something that he can build on in the future. Uh, and then it's not just that, it's looking at attacking-wise. He's improving certain players. Uh, as I've said, defensively, the stats have really improved. But you look at Timo Werner and Kai Havertz and their expected output is also up compared to that of Lampard this season. Kai Havertz in particular, his expected goal involvement has nearly doubled in, in his last 10 games, which is absurd. I mean... He has been playing further up a little bit as well, which is obviously going to benefit him. But I think that he's almost had a new lease of life under Tuchel. I, I don't know what you think about that, Nisha. In terms of who, sorry? In terms of Kai Havertz and Timo Werner. Mm. 
And then yeah, a new lease of life would do it. Yeah, it's a good way to describe it for them both because they both really struggled under Lampard. And for for Havertz, you know, you'd use the argument of being played not out of position, but not in his strongest position because he's a natural 10 for me. And, you know, playing him in a false nine, you know, pretty much in between as a striker and attacking midfielder, he has flourished and been at his best for Chelsea in that position. Timo Werner, on the other hand, he's still on the left wing. That's not his best position for me. He's got to be up front. He's a striker. That's where he scored goals. Scored yeah, goals. That doesn't make sense to me. But on the other hand, you know, he does look more involved and more productive under Tuchel. And you can make the arguments about, you know, German Lincoln, all of that. But I think it's just mad management in these attacking players. You know, seeing how Havertz gets involved and Werner always keeping his head up. He did that under Lampard. But the difference was he wasn't doing anything in terms of goals and contributions. Whereas, you know, he got his first league goal in three months against Newcastle. He's been hit form again. He looks energetic. He looks like one of our best players. Havertz as well, always a real joy to watch, whether it's as one of his wide midfield, um, attacking midfielders or if it's as the target man. You know, they're both really excelling. And I think there's so many players you can point out who have had a resurgence under Thomas Tuchel. Jorginho looked outcast. He's now a key midfielder. Marcus Alonso, he was frozen out. I thought he was going. But now he's back in, you know, competing for that spot. Yeah, Parisa Balago as well. Yes, he's been playing the cup games, but he's not conceded a single goal. Four straight clean sheets. If you said that 12 months ago, you'd not believe it, seeing what Kepa's done. But, you know, watching him the other day, for example, uh, against Sheffield United, he really impressed me. And the main thing, a bit of a tangent, but on Kepa, because he's a really main player, having a resurgence. With Kepa, he commands his box so much better. The Liverpool game last season, where we lost 5 3, really stands out, where he just did nothing in his box, didn't claim the ball, didn't shout and just looked obsolete in comparison to the goal mass. Against Sheffield United the other day, he was claiming every ball, shouting, really vocal, and he's like that from the bench as well. So that's a confidence thing, absolutely. And all credit to Tuchel, because he's done a magnificent job in motivating and bringing these players back into the fold. No, absolutely. I I mean, in summary for sort of this uh, particular segment on on the short-term impact, what he's done, and I suppose the short-term... ambitions which is till the end of this season it's looking like Chelsea will get top four which you would have said was an achievement in itself when when um, Tuchel took over Mendy said that was the remit and I looked at it and thought there's a lot of work to do there (laughs) he's done very well um, with that Um, but could there also be a trophy to cap Tuchel's first half a season in charge or is that a little bit greedy at this moment in time it's not greedy at all when we've not lost a single game in 14. Absolutely, we can win a trophy. In our first Champions League quarterfinal, like I said, for seven years, we failed so often to beat the bigger teams of round of 16. And now we're there and we've got, I wouldn't say an easy time. Many people have said that, but I don't see it that way. I see it as a more favourable time. And it's definitely a competition we go all the way in. The FA Cup as well, very difficult semi-final against Manchester City. But seeing Tuchel against Guardiola is going to be incredible. Think of those two tactical attacking minds. That's going to be a joy to watch. But we can absolutely win a trophy. It was really unfortunate that Lampard didn't win a trophy, especially you look at the FA Cup final. And, you know, to be really honest, that FA Cup final just wasn't meant to be. Everything went against us. Mm. Look at Tuchel now. I, can, I don't see why he can't win a trophy. And he spoke about it in his press conference, saying that he's going to go to compete for a maximum, win every trophy. If we win the Champions League, we're going to go and win it. If we win the Cup, we're out there to win it. And that's the mentality he's instilled. So 
I wouldn't necessarily expect a trophy in saying that we need that, but we could see it the season. And, you know, in terms of being in the top four, getting the top four is the aim right now. Because if we look at where we'd fallen off with Lampard from title challenges to, you know, barely making the Europa League spot, we had to get back on track. Tuchel has done that. And we're in between the limbo stages where we need to make sure we get a solid top four spot, you know, which we've done over the last two seasons, but on the final day, albeit. Or can we really push on and challenge for the title, which, yes, looks difficult, difficult, <laughs> difficult, sorry. Um, nine games to go, Manchester City, ages away, I think they're going to win it. But yeah. if we can really challenge for the title and at least mount that title challenge, you know, it shows really positives the next season, especially when, remember, Tuchel didn't sign a single player. Yeah. He didn't have time. He came in with five days to go. Yeah. <laughs> if he gets what he needs to the season, top four, and a trophy would be a bonus. He's got the entire summer to clear up Deadwood, bring in the players he wants. Roman Abramovich has already said he's going to give him a lot of money. And the ambition mm. and the project that Tuchel has at Chelsea, he can bring in a lot of top talent. So the future is very bright at Chelsea. Must stress, though, that as, as Ali Gunnar Solskjaer said, remember that uh, trophies are not a, man, a measure of a, of a manager's success, are they? Um, I mean, I'm united <laughs> not, but Chelsea, absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I say that, and, and Jordan knows actually, I, I do like Mr. Solskjaer. It just reminds me of, uh, as I'll say this for about the 80th time on this podcast, but it reminds me of Bilbo Baggins from Lord of the Rings. And uh, I just think, I just see him going off into the sunset and it just fills me with happiness. Uh, anyway, um, that was, <laughs> that's, a, that's an interesting way to end that topic. But Every um, podcast. Every podcast. <laughs> but, <laughs> but, on to the second topic now, which is thinking more long-term or on to next season. As we've just discussed, we think that Tuchel will get top four and he might get a trophy. But is there going to be substantial change next season from what we see this season? Jordan, I'll bring you on in on this first because you said in previous podcasts that you're not convinced that Tuchel wants to keep with the back three system. Ex- expand on Yeah. Well... As I mentioned in the in the last uh, segment, uh, they've been really strong defensively, and with that, you kind of do question, well, why change a winning formula? And he is consistently winning with it. But I just think there's games where they look a little bit stale, almost going forwards with the with the fire at the back system. Particularly, the one that stands out is that Leeds game recently, where mm. it was just something not quite right. And I think that one big issue with that was the wing backs. Go on, go on. I thought in the Leeds game, not to pull apart your point, which I love to do, yeah. but um, in the Leeds game, I think they played a back four. Started with a back no, four. No, it was a back three with Pulisic on the right. and It, 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 was, it was a back three going forward, a back four defending. You see, there you go. That's good because we're both right. Well, to carry on. <laughs> <laughs> Even, better. Even better. So, well, yeah, that's, that's one thing that I think is... is an issue going forwards, though, with with the with the five at the back or the three at the back, however you like to call it, mm. uh, when when they do have two marauding fullbacks going really high up the pitch, like they did uh, against Sheffield United actually uh, this weekend, mm. it looks really good. But I think there's games where the wing backs are pushed back, and it just looks a little bit too stale. And I think that it's those games where a back four and you maybe can get an extra attacker on is something that could benefit Chelsea next season. Mm. You agree with that? Absolutely. And, you know, something that I definitely agree with is that Tuchel is very flexible tactics-wise. We look at the Barnsley game, for example. We switched from a 3-4-3 to a 4-2-3-1 to a 4-3-3. That's tactical flexibility for me because it was especially under Lampard. We saw the 4-3-3 for so, so long. 
And especially when we knew a back three worked, we just didn't see it used again. But Tuchel was brave enough to use those three formations in that game. Some might say it was because we couldn't get past the Barnsley team and we were struggling. Yes, but it shows that we're capable of switching fluidly between formations. And especially we've seen with Tuchel at PSG, at Dortmund, he's changed between these formations, like you said, between a back three, between a back four. And I've been the same. As soon as I saw a back three, I said, yes, this is going to work for now. I think we'll probably use it for the rest of this season. Like I said, no reason to change. Why would you? But next season, probably go back to a back four, probably a 4-2-3-1, because he's spoken about using a double pivot of double sixes with Conte, maybe Jorginho or Kovacic. And, you know, we could have a midfield three with two defensive midfielders mm. and one attacking midfielder. But that almost feels too defensive for me. So I feel like we'll see a 4-2-3-1 next season, maybe Conte, and maybe we go for another defensive midfielder. But I think probably Conte, Kovacic for now and then have that attacking um, depth as well as the back four. But you're right. You know, he's not going to use this forever, and we know that. But it's more about when he decides to change it and what does he change it to. But for now, there's no reason whatsoever to change it. Because if it's not broken, don't fix it. Yeah, yeah. I think for this season, it's absolutely what it should continue with. And I think that'll be what... what I, well, I, I've said it in the last couple of pods, actually, that I think Chelsea will finish second. And I think that's probably why. Uh, and it's particularly their defence that has been so strong. Uh, I, I do think, though, that the back three suits Azpilicueta perfectly, which is one massive benefit to, to that system. And going forwards, I just think that Reese James has to play in that right side more, more so. Yeah, and what a shame is for Azpilicueta too is that he's not a very good wing-back. He's not quick yeah. enough. He's not the best attacker going forward, especially compared to Reese James. He's nowhere near as good going forward. And as a centre-back, where he's got those defensive duties, He's still on the right-hand side, but rather than having to focus on going up and down the flank, he's staying and keeping that back three together and playing that crucial role. So I don't think we'll really see him as a wing-back again. We never really did. It was only occasion, and even when he did, I think as a full-back or a wing-back, we saw him get torn to shreds. So he has to play in that centre-back role if he wants to maintain a spot in the squad. Yeah, no, absolutely. Both, both like, uh, you know, I, I I also happen to agree, but uh, you, especially when you talk about, as you say, the the previous experience Tuchel's had at other clubs and and not um, sticking on a on a correct formation and and coming into the club, he had to think of something quickly, had to make something stick. Um, it's unrealistic, really, to be able to get a club to be fluid in so many different formations, especially when you just come in and you're thrown in on the in the deep end. So essentially, as as you both sort of touched on, three at the back, provided a base that could tighten up a leaky defence and also give the platform for um, controlled attacking play as well, which I think we've seen um, in in many periods for, uh, under Tuchel's um, spell uh, so far. But you've both said progression to move to a back four. Would that require some transfer market expenditure? Would that require a few people to bring in, in the transfer market? Because... You've sort of touched on it, Nichelle. You've said that Roman Abramovich wants to back him, and I'm sure I'm not even going to question that because you know more about Chelsea than I do. And I really hope you're right. I mean, I I get, I love how energetic Tuchel is, and and personally, um, as a as a Burnley as a Burnley fan and a neutral journalist viewer, uh, I really would like to see Chelsea do well again, especially under someone as charismatic as Tuchel. So I want to think that you're right, and they will, and you probably are that they will spend quite a bit in the summer. But part of me thinks they spent over £200 million last summer, £140 million roughly on two German forwards, and they've been linked with people like Erling Haaland. And I just think, if I'm Roman Abramovich, I'm thinking, 
well, I've spent an absolute fortune on my attack already. And I want to see the, the rewards reaped of those two before I start going in and, and bringing another player in. On the other hand, I also think, well, it's Roman Abramovich and he just signs who he wants, to be honest. But could there be a point of view to say, well, Chelsea have a phenomenal squad there already. Werner's not reached his potential at all yet. Even though he's improved, he's still not reached his, the, the heights that he did in the Bundesliga. Neither has Havertz, really. So could there be a point in saying, it's their season next season to show exactly why the club brought them in? Or are you of the view, no, we need another heavy hitter just to compensate the fact that they might, neither of them might be fully suited to the league? It's a combination of the things you've just said. We've got a really strong squad and there's no denying that. That's why I said, you know, same as you, Jordan, I said we'd finish second this season because of those investments we'd made. We've got a very, very strong squad. You look at our rested, rotated squad and we've still got a really good 11 on the field. So, you know, player personnel wasn't necessarily the issue for the majority of Lampard's reign. You know, part of it was man management, but also the players didn't want to play for a badge for a long time. And that's the change Tuchel made. I think, you know, Roman Abramovich, he's Roman Abramovich, like you said. We spent 200 million this summer. He will spend another 300 next summer. But an important thing to see about last summer is that the 200 million pounds didn't just come out of nowhere. For one, we had a transfer ban, so we missed out on a whole sum of investment. We also had the Hazard money, which got up to about £100 million in the end. Then you had on Alvaro Morata, um, Bakayoko's on loan, but a lot of players you add on to that money. So while we did spend a lot of money, a lot of that was kind of savings, to be honest, you know, save it for a rainy day. And we did. And we did make really good investments. And with all of them, we need to give them time. It's a really, really difficult league to adapt to. You know, you don't get a Burnley in every league like in the Premier League. So it's going to be difficult. And, you know, Hakim Ziyech is one who really stands out for me. 2021, he's not been good. On the other hand, he's been good in recent games. Timo Werner is, I think he's got 20 goal contributions now. But we've seen large chunks of a season where he's just not been good enough. Same can be said for Ben Chilwell, who struggled at times, and Kai Havertz. The only two signings who have been pretty much perfect, Thiago Silva, mm. you know, how can you say not? We got him free. And Edouard Mendy, because he fixed the gaping hole we had in, in between the six. So we will spend money again next summer. I think there's more priority on going forward in defence because, like we've seen, we've fixed the defensive problems. Two goals conceded in 14 games. That's ridiculous. That's an amazing record. We've got Thiago Silva. I do think we need to look at who his successor is going to be, whether we bring Tamori back in, whether we go out and buy a new centre-back. I think that's for another future problem because Thiago Silva, I think he will sign that one-year contract extension. But in attack, Leeds game, like we said earlier, was a prime example of lacking that cutting edge. And that's really been a problem for about two, three years. We have such great attacking players and you know, brilliant philosophy and playing style, but we just can't finish. You know, we've not scored more than two goals on Tuchel, which is a very, very thin straw to be picking at, considering we've not lost a single game. But it's a valid one, because when we look in the long term, we can score two goals every game. But teams like Manchester City and Liverpool, when they yeah. get back into form, They'll be scoring three, four, five. The goal scoring is a key target. And that's why Erling Haaland is a number one target, whether we can get him or not. So in terms of investment, defensive-wise, I wouldn't see as much need to invest there, nor do I think we'll see as much investment there. But attacking, whether that's a right winger to cover for Ziyech, a new target man, maybe even a new midfielder, we will definitely see investments this summer once again. If you could 
I mean, I, I, this is a terrible question because I know that what the answer is already, but if there was one player that you could... <laughs> it's terrible, isn't it? Because everyone says the same name. If there was one player that you would really target this summer and you could get anyone... Even you're not though, allowed to say Ben Godfrey. No, you're not allowed to say He's an Everton fan. If you're not allowed to say Ben Godfrey... Um, I mean, let, I, I'm going to reframe the question. If Erling Haaland came to Chelsea, which is what everyone, who everyone and, and, their, and their dog wants, really, at the moment... Do you think he would push Chelsea from top four solid to Manchester City title contender? Is it that big? Could that be the move that pushes them to the next level, do you think? Yes, absolutely. I don't think our attacking strikers are that bad. Our options aren't awful. We've got a World Cup winner in Giroud, our top scorer in Abraham, and a lethal German striker on his day in Werner. But we're still lacking that cutting edge. And, you know, if Erling Haaland comes across, along, why wouldn't you take him? We will spend all the money we need. We will do everything we can to bring him to the club. And he would take us to that new level, challenging for the title, you know, get into that elite creme de la creme of European teams, challenging for the Champions League. He's that man we need and who could take us to that next level. On the other hand, and this isn't anything against us signing him, because, you know, if Dortmund said, do you want Haaland? No one is going to say no, let's be honest. But it's looking at, Will we actually be able to get him? Mm. Money-wise, that's not going to be a problem. Recruitment-wise, that's not going to be a problem. We're not the only team who won Erling Haaland. Manchester mm. City, for me, are the front-runners. The yeah. opportunity to work under Pep Guardiola, a quadruple challenge inside in March, under one of the best managers in the world and the best teams in the world. Just imagine Erling Haaland being fed through balls by Phil Foden and Kevin De Bruyne. That's scary to think of. So Manchester City are ultimately the front-runners. Then you add him, maybe you go to Spain or Barcelona, Real Madrid. Bayern Munich, I think, is the only one you can really rule out, Robert Lewandowski. And I don't think he would do that to Dortmund. Every top club in Europe wants him. So while we can say, yeah, we're going to get him, he's coming to Chelsea, it's not certain. You know, mm. everyone, everyone wants a piece of Haaland and wants him to be their star striker. So if we want him, it won't be about how much money we can offer, but it's really the incentives. You know, He's going to have to be the starting striker, which means we're going to have to push out one of Abraham or Giroud because Werner's not going anywhere. He just signed. And it's probably going to be Abraham. Maybe Giroud moves on, but he seems quite content, whereas Abraham hasn't played much. So we're stuck in our dilemma if we do want Haaland. But at the end of the day, if Roman Abramovich wants Haaland, he will do everything in his power, throw every last penny at him to bring him to the club. I mean that 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 you know that was really fascinating, and the, and the big thing I can I can now claim and say and exclusively exclusively reveal from that is that it'll be off to Bayern Munich now. Um, after all of that, so uh, that's just the way it goes. It's how I it's how I feel. It always happens with me. Uh, no, actually, it's the other way around, isn't it, Jordan? Usually, when I say something, it's like prophesized. Um, well, but, yeah. you could be a football agent, I think, for Danny Ings. I could be. Yeah, a football. Should be. <laughs> you know what? Actually, just before we move on briefly, I, I did sort of tout Danny Ings' oh. availability. He's been linked with everyone now. I'm not even going to bring it up because I'm sure you know Chelsea have enough strikers, and that would be creme de la creme, as he said. But uh, I did sort of half mentioned the possibility of him going to City a few a week later. Being linked with City, what can I say? You know, do you want tomorrow's lottery numbers? Don't know. Anyway. Um, Big one now because international breaks coming up. Uh, international breaks here actually, it's not coming up, and we've got uh, two weeks of. Uh, I'm, I'm sure everyone's excited for the World Cup qualifiers. Um, we're not going to reserve this on England because uh, there's been enough said about England um, from everyone, including us a bit last week. Um, and um, yeah, it, it's one of those. So while Nichelle's here, I think it's perfect to really look at a nation 
I'll be honest, I haven't had as much, you know, uh, look at, a look into, and neither is Jordan, neither is many of us. So, Nichelle's father is from Switzerland, as I remember him telling me just before we went on air. I'm not going to claim to be uh, an oracle here, but it give, it means that he has affiliation with with Switzerland, therefore with the Swiss national team as well as as well as England. Uh, so, if England do badly or just decide to line up with five at the back against San Marino, it means he's got somewhere else to uh, to to enjoy his international football, if if that's possible, really. Switzerland, then. It's, they're in the Euros. I would say a relatively challenging group. It, Italy, Wales and Turkey, I think. Um, so let's forget the World Cup qualifiers for a moment because no one's really that interested in those. Um, what, what are your hopes for the Euros then coming up? It's going to be obviously... From from an England fan point of view, we always expect to go through the group stages, and Switzerland are a very ambitious team as well, I believe. Where do you want to go in the summer, as far as Switzerland's concerned? Any team needs to go into the tournament wanting to win it, and that's the ultimate goal, of course. But for a realistic and you know kind of honest opinion, quarterfinals yeah. would be remarkable because we've not reached the quarterfinal in any tournament, 1954 when we hosted it, and mm. that is far too long, you know. For Generally, you'd say, yeah, of course, that's a long shot. But if you look at the generation we've got now, which is the Swiss golden generation, there's no doubt about that. No team has qualified tournament every single tournament um, year in, year out with such consistency and such strength. And we're good enough to be challenging there. But the problem is we haven't been in the World Cup. We've been, you know, get to a round of 16. And it's a whole other story about how we've faulted a round of 16. It's painful. Mm. It really is because every single one of those games we could have won. Sweden was painful. That was just an mm. awful performance. Argentina, 118th minute, they scored the winner. Poland in the Euros last time out, mm. we lost on penalties because the Granit Xhaka's missed penalty. So we're capable of getting to those stages. The minimum aim will be get out, to get out of the group. It is a difficult group. There's no denying that. Italy in particular, they had a flawless Euro qualifying record. They're in the Nations League finals. They're actually my favourites for the tournament, so that's going to be a really tough game. Wales as well can perform on their day. They're in the tournament for a reason. And Turkey, we saw what they did against France in the qualifiers. They are forced to reckon with. So it will be a difficult group, but we can get out of it. And we need to aim for the round of 16 first and then the quarterfinals. Because if you look at the eight best nations, you know, you'll look at the obvious ones like England, France, Germany. But we're good enough to be in that place. We've got mm. top talent mm. in the Premier League, Serie A, La Liga. We've had, never had that before. We used to only have in the 90s and 2000s one or two top players in the big five leagues. Now it's about 90% of a squad play in those leagues. So the squad is good enough, the manager is good enough, yep. setup is good enough, and it's going to be a tough, tough group and a really big tournament. But I'm looking forward to it, and I do believe we can do well. Yeah, no, I mean, you touched on a few leagues there. I actually think uh, the Bundesliga is fantastic for some Swiss talent there. You've got Jan Sommer, the Gladbach keeper, fantastic. Akanji from Dortmund, their defence is a bit iffy, but Akanji's a you know promising player. Zakaria, if he can keep fit, fantastic um, uh, defensive midfielder for Gladbach as well. And, and Jordan, you actually said Mbolo, actually, didn't you, to me? Uh, as a, as a as one of the standout yeah. uh, forwards for them, and Jordan also added that uh, the Switzerland flag is a big plus in his notes for uh, the Switzerland national uh, team. And as uh, Nichelle rolls his eyes, no, yeah. no, 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 it's not one for original jokes, it's Jordan. But um, it's uh, yeah, I mean, it's one of those. You, you, you've talked about that really well. I mean, 
Vlad, uh, yeah, the manager, uh, Vladimir Petkovic, been there since 2014. Um, what do you, you, you've already said good manager, good setup. Uh, what are your thoughts on him tactically? What do we expect him to set up like with the national team? You know, can he, can he build up, do you, ultimately, can he build on what he's ultimately the failures of, of the past few years? Can he build on those? He's already built on that as well. We look at um, 2016, Euro 2016 was actually the first ever time we'd got to the knockout stages of a Euros. Yeah. That was always already a building spot. Um, the World Cup as well, we reached another World Cup. Nations League finals, that was a huge achievement for us. You know, Despite the um, disputed reputation of a tournament, to be one of the best four countries in Europe mm. with likes of Portugal, England and the Netherlands, that's a huge, huge honour for us. So Petkovic is already building and making that development. And the aim is to really just keep building, keep pushing, but also compete with the best of the best because we can do that and we can beat them. In terms of tactically wise, he is a good tactical manager. You know, he's been able to um, build a very solid, compact um, side and defence. We're very good defensively and can also go forward well. Ironically, the problem we've had since I've been watching in the last decade is that we would every now and then, we would waste so many chances. We've got better than in recent years. I will say that. There were some games we'd win 1-0 have about 20 opportunities so that's something we've built on something i will say tactically though is that petkovic has switched to a back three in the last year and a half and i'm not a fan of it at all mm. chelsea it works really well mm. under tuchel with the players we've got with the philosophy and football we play it works brilliantly mm-hmm. switzerland we're vulnerable at the back we're not good enough defensively mm. ricardo rodriguez is out of place we play him as a center back and he can do a job there but then we've got no one at left wing back and mm. we're just left with that gap. So I don't want to see us play a back three. We've done that for the last year and a half and it got us through the last stages of Euro qualifying, but it didn't fare well for us in the Nations League. We only just avoided relegation mm. only because Ukraine had some positive COVID tests. So the big question will be, are we going to see the traditional 4-2-3-1, which mm. we saw from about 2014 and under Petkovic, I mean, from mm. 2014 until about... 2019, or are we going to see the new three, I'm not three, four, three, three, five, mm. two that uh, we've seen from 2019 onwards? Thought to be a back four for me, and we've seen because the back three is not good enough. Mm. We get dominated. We're not, you know, yes, we have more attackers, but we're awful in defence, mm. and it's not nice to see that. So he is tactically flexible. He is able to change that. He has a big, big dilemma ahead on whether he goes back or he sticks to his um, an original back three. Well, yeah, I mean, some of the players as well. When you think of, when you think of the players in the in the Switzerland team, Granit Xhaka usually plays in a four two three one for Arsenal, and uh, I think captain isn't he for Switzerland as well? So uh, phenomenal. Uh, well, I wouldn't say for, I'd say a very good uh, dictator of play, at least more appreciated. I think uh, maybe when he plays for his country than sometimes maybe when he plays mm. for his club. Um, and then also Zakaria, 4-2-3-1 again, Gladbach, Shakiri as well. You'd, you'd imagine as well the 4-2-3-1 allows Shakiri maybe to play in a bit more of a free role than the 3-4-3 would do. Um, I guess, again, it, it comes down to, uh, well, it, com- it comes down to whether to, the manager wants to go back to what, it, what, what worked well in the past or whether he wants to try and modernise it. Is there any particular reason you think that he's trying to implement this style? Uh, perhaps one, one perhaps being that he's trying to uh, because he's been in, in charge of the national team for a while, maybe trying to switch it up a little bit to to, to prevent, I suppose, things becoming stale? Uh, or do you just think it's an unnecessary switch, as, you, as you've sort of said, it doesn't help uh, the team defensively, uh, in your opinion? 
I see it as an attempt to switch up and kind of give a new lease of life to Switzerland while also trying to change up for the opponents because they've got used to Switzerland's 43 on. They know how to combat, combat it. So maybe it was a case of that. But he's got to go back for me because we play so well with 43 one. It's also a personnel thing. Like you said, mm. uh, Jacques and Zakaria are such a good defensive pivot. I love them together. You know, yeah. Jacques, he is phenomenal for the national team. What you see in Arsenal, he's a completely different player for Switzerland. Zakaria mm-hmm. as well, by far one of the most impressive youngsters yeah. and the best young player in our national team. I've watched him for years now and I've always said he's going to get a big move soon, I think, to the Premier League. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that formation plays into their strengths. Whereas when we play a back three, yes, they're still playing with that defensive um, responsibilities of covering the back three, but the attacking formation changes where, you know, we haven't got the fullbacks to support them and they've got even more um, even more responsibility despite the fact that we're technically playing with, what, seven defensive players. But I, I will be very interested to see what Petkovic does for this week's qualifiers against Bulgaria and Lithuania. If we see a back four, that may well be experimenting. So can we go back? So are we still capable of playing that information? If we go for a back three, that's probably what we're going to keep going with throughout the Euros. And, you know, I will be disappointed of that. I can't lie, and I'll be really honest about that, but I trust him. He's been with us for seven years. We have that stability. He's done an incredible job for the national team, and it's been a joy to watch him manage us and bring us to new levels. And at the end of the day, you know, I have my opinions on it. I'm boldly against the back three, and I'll stand by that, but I trust him, and I support him. You know, the same way I trusted Frank Lampard at Chelsea, I trust Vladimir Petkovic of Switzerland. But, you know, if we fail over Euros, for example, God forbid, and that's by playing a back three, there is going to have to be an inquisition. Did we need to make that change? What was the point? Did we actually benefit from playing with less defenders and a more compact back three mm. rather than going with a solid back four? We had with Stefan Liechtenstein, who was our captain yeah. before. So big, big questions and dilemmas ahead. Mm. No, yeah, I mean, you make a really good point, actually. I joke about how excited I am to uh, watch the World Cup qualifiers generally um in, in a negative sense but it is a good uh platform to prepare for the european tournament and like you say if the back three is is um is being distributed for switzerland then you can make the assumption that in the summer that will be the case and i suppose from from even just to just to briefly touch on england from that uh perspective jordan but bring you into your comfort zone slightly um just to briefly touch on england it's the same i suppose with gareth southgate in the sense that if he deploys a back five or three in these upcoming um, world cup qualifiers you would imagine that that's with a view to to trialing it for the for the tournament in the summer because when he did it last time southgate and you know uh, any manager at national level doesn't have time to necessarily build uh, too many systems or too many ways of play because they don't see the, the squads enough. So uh, from Petkovic's point of view, he's trying a new style now. Again, whichever style he goes with in, the, in these upcoming qualifiers for the World Cup is probably with a view to the tournament because he doesn't have time to, imp- to, keep, you know, to, to keep chopping and changing. Same with Southgate, won't it? I suppose to a point that 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 we, as I say, we're not going to talk about England too much. But when we see England in the upcoming games, we'll be looking particularly at the setup. Yeah, you definitely imagine so. I think it'll enlighten us a lot in terms of how in, how every single team is actually going to play. Because as you say, I think it's it's familiarising the team as best as you can before uh, and preparing for for the tournament. Obviously, in this summer, 
Uh, I think the really interesting thing with Switzerland there, though, is Ricardo Rodriguez as a centre-back, because mm-hmm. I think one of the main kind of positives of playing the back three is you get Ricardo Rodriguez as a wing-back, because he's really good going forward. He can whip a good ball in. It's just a bit of a baffling the, decision. The only, one, so. I agree with you. The only thing I would have thought is Ricardo Rodriguez, I think that along those lines as well. He's not particularly quick, though, is he? It's not he's particularly... Not, no. not particularly and that is a position that you do have to get up and down a lot, but I just think he's got a lot of quality in that left foot of his and I think that that's something uh, well I, I just kind of agree that a back four maybe suits the players better but the, what do I know I'm not the <laughs> again just be, I saw this else had to go up just before I say that actually we, uh, to reference Chelsea as well Marcus Alonso is not the speediest of players is he and he and he mm. also manages to make that position his own to a point but yeah no go on Michelle just to summarise yeah Rodriguez is very interesting because he's a really good left back and very good going forward and as a centre-back, he also does a good job. But the problem I have with playing a Rodriguez as a centre-back rather than a wing-back is that we don't really have any other amazing options. You know, we can play Silvan Vidma, move him over. We can play Francois Mubanji, but he's not as good, to be really honest. And we played Ukraine, for example, in the Nations League. We played Steven Zulba as a wing-back. And he had a pretty horrific game because he's a winger, naturally. So attacking-wise, yeah, he's going to be fine. He's got that width and you get loads of freedom, of course as a wing-back. Defensively, it was horrific on that side. And that's where both of Ukraine's goals came from, actually, because the whole left flank was open because Zuba was out of position. He didn't have that defensive mindset. And then it dragged Rodriguez over by fill in, created the space, and they scored. So mm-hmm. the issue isn't necessarily that Rodriguez is a bad centre-back. I think he can play there. But more so, that I don't think we have many strong options and left back, you know, we can play some of the youngsters, but Rodriguez needs to be in that squad as a left back. Not to mention, we can play a back three of what I think our current best back three is Akanji, Sher, Elverdi. Sher is currently out and maybe missing the Euros, we're not sure yet. Elverdi has been in outstanding form, Akanji as well. So playing both three together makes more sense. They're natural centre backs, why wouldn't you? So there's a lot of really interesting debates to have, and, you know, ones that aren't obviously spoken about because Switzerland on. Um, one of those big traditional nations that everyone wants to speak about and you see kids wearing um, the Shakiri shirt in the playground and idolising them around the world. You know, we're a small nation, but there are lots of interesting facets um, when we look at the squad and the formation. Yeah, and just briefly to finish then, um, you've, you've sort of said you, you can see Switzerland doing quite well in the Euros, but uh, quick prediction, how well you think they'll do if they go with the back three and how well you think they'll do if they go back to the four-two-three-one? Good question. Hmm. It happens sometimes. <laughs> we can get out of a group of a back three, but I think we'd scrape it in second and then go out in a round of 16. If we play a back four, could we win the group? I don't know, perhaps. But if we play a back four, I can see us reaching the quarterfinals and beyond. It's as simple as that. We will do better with a back four. Could they win the group, Jordan? Uh I mean, it's difficult to judge. I definitely think they've got a, a very good chance going through. Sorry, Switzerland, you've probably just left the Euros if that's the case. Uh, don't don't trust what Jordan says. Um, you know, unfortunately, sorry about that. That's just a disclaimer I should put at the at the start of the podcast. Um, so yeah, final uh, topic really, just to just to go back a little bit to the uh, the European action just before we uh, broke up for this international break, and it was wild. I mean, I started with a La Liga focus uh, because obviously Nichelle had just seen Chelsea um, ease. Past Atletico Madrid, I thought, what a wonderful way to start. They're still top of La Liga. 
but it's been crazy. It's been crazy all over the place. Uh, just before we went on air, I did. Uh, I did uh, do. I did send the uh, free kick around. The wonderful free kick uh, in league N, Armand Loriente. Brilliant. I mean, 45 yards. Um, tremendous. I mean, you were both in awe. I think the keeper was at fault. But like you said, Nichelle, before we went on there, I mean, he's not expecting it, is he? It's amazing. Yeah. You're just amazing. You can kick it that far, aren't you, Johnny? I can, yeah. I, I'm in awe <laughs> that he can kick it that far, to be honest. But I, me personally, I would have probably done the Rabona. Moving on to uh, other stuff. I mean, France in particular, really interesting. We've talked about this a little bit. Um, the league and uh in previous episodes but psg were well they've had a bit of trouble but they are top now actually of league and they did really really uh they had a really good performance 4-2 over leon and Mbappe got two goals uh it's one of those actually isn't it jordan where really we're talking about this uh you know before on other podcasts how um how it's almost in the games you expect them to win or the games that don't seem quite as big they cr- they've crumbled a few times uh, but in a game against Leon, who's near the top of the table, they turned up and they, they they perform really well. And Mbappe with two goals just shows why he's one of the best around. Uh, man for the big occasion, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's just a sign of uh, the mentality as well. And I think even at the times where they were struggling, we've kind of all along said they'll probably still win it. And as you say, they're backed off. I would imagine they'll go on to win it still at this point. Yeah, I mean. Uh, Again, there's been stories from all over uh, Europe. It's been tantalising, really. And just to go back to the Bundesliga, three uh, little quick narratives. Uh, Actually, we'll start with the one that broke today. Um, Before we go to the results, Xabi Alonso taking charge of Borussia Mönchengladbach. I mean, uh, that's remarkable, isn't it? He's he's been in charge of... uh... Yeah, go on, Nish. You know what really scares me about that? Mm. I still remember Xabi Alonso and Mm. Xabi and Pirlo all playing. Now they're in management. Like, yeah, we're getting old. We're yeah, getting to that stage, backing into higher. A really interesting change from Marco Rosa, who's a fantastic coach, yeah. to Xabi Alonso, who's not proven in management, but we yeah. know what he's like as a footballer. So it'll be fascinating mm. to see how they do. It's been really interesting, hasn't it? Because there's been a dynamic throughout the past few years of almost abandoning the tried and trusted for a few risks. We've seen Lampard with Chelsea, Arteta with Arsenal, Ole Gunnar Solskjaer with Man United, and now now Alonso with Gladbach. Jordan, do you think there's any particular reason why people are going for the for the novices do you think there's a bit of excitement you get i mean look at what gerald's done with rangers sometimes you just you just take the ball by the horns and 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 go with it there must just be something about a midfielder as well that's just really attractive yeah. to clubs in, in terms of getting a manager as well what about Ollie? Yeah, no, I think he's he's someone that you always hear about as he's got a great football brain i mean you saw it when he used to play he was a phenomenal defensive midfielder maybe not so when he was at liverpool but that's just my bitterness talking um <laughs> Yeah, he, he sees the pitch so well and I think that that will translate over to management and I think that that is something that they really see uh, in terms of hiring these midfielders and I think that, I mean, you'd imagine he'll be successful. It's a good side. They might not get Champions League but that might benefit him. So, yeah, yeah I think it's a good appointment. Yeah, kiss of death from Jordan. Um, so, we, you know, it's it's one of those. It shocked me as well, to be honest with you and uh, I'll tell you what was good though. Just just to go a few days back, it will stick with Germany for a, for a short time. Uh, Erling Haaland, we talked about him before. What a finish um, uh, against uh, against Colne when he when he gets the ball. I mean, it's a it's a long ball over the top. He controls it on his instep, uh, and then he just rolls it across the goalkeeper. Scores a brace. It's two two. He storms off the pitch. He's angry because Dortmund haven't won and they're faltering in their mission to re- to regain the Champions League spot. Um, I guess it's one of those, Michelle, where um, if Haaland doesn't 
I mean, sorry, if Dortmund don't get the Champions League this summer, it's almost like he has to leave if they do get it this summer. Whereas if he, they do get the Champions League and Marco Rosa, his old manager, does come back, you could say, well, they could maybe give him 12 months until his buyout clause comes in 2022. Uh, so, yeah, 2022. And then maybe look, look, look then. But if they don't get Champions League, he's a goner, isn't he? There's no way Erling Haaland is going to stay at Borussia Dortmund and turn up in the Europa League. It would be unfair, yeah. for sure. But he's, not, he's past that um, level of playing in the second European competition. He's got to be a Champions League club. So all eyes are pretty much on Dortmund. If they miss out on those European spots, then it's curtain. And we're going to see him move on. But I, I think they will make it. You know, it's going to be tough. There's been a lot of competition around those places. Dortmund have been inconsistent as ever. But they can make Champions League. And really... You know, Harland, I think, probably could be ready to go over summer. Last summer was too early for me. Half a season is nowhere near enough to develop at a club. A season and a half, though, is much better. But I hope he wouldn't rush into going just because he knows he's a big talent. And, or mm. you know, I wouldn't want him to rush to a club like, let's look at Man- Manchester City, for example. Mm. Would he go if Gabriel Jesus and Sergio Aguero both there? I think we'd need Sergio Aguero to move on first, mm. you know. Whether he goes back to Argentina, we return to Atletico Madrid, for example, and then he comes in. So he's really about focus rather than having to compete. Because at Dortmund, he came in and they needed a number nine. And instantly he was their starting man. Mm. But if he comes to an, into any club, yes, he'll be one of the best, if not the best striker, but he'll have competition. So it all rests on how Dortmund do for the rest of the season and also how Haaland is doing because he's still in top form, going to be at this level for a few years. And it's whether he feels it's the right time to move on or keep playing for Dortmund and maybe even tra- challenge for a Bundesliga title. Yeah, no, really well put. I mean, but Jordan, what, what happens if Jadon Sancho wants to go to? I mean, <laughs> <laughs> problem. Yeah, no, it, well, it could be a big issue actually for, for Dortmund this summer, couldn't it? I mean, with Haaland, I just think he strikes me as somebody that will want to chase those records, mm. uh, uh, the, better, the highest Champions League scorer ever. He's just someone that has that mentality about him, has that bit about him. That feels like a Real Madrid kind of player to me. Like the, the no, he does. I, I've said it in the past, though. I just uh, and I agree with Nishal on this. I just think that City there's just a, an Erling Haaland size hole there, and I, I mean I can see uh, Aguero go leaving. He seems to be a little bit on the rocks this season. The injuries are really catching up to him. I just think it, it's almost the stars are aligning. It's just whether they'll be willing to pay the price, which I think, considering the, the buyout clause next season, I think it'll be a massive, almost extra incentive this summer. And also, Mina, Mina Raiola is Haaland's agent. As I always say, whenever this comes up, Guardiola hates Mina Raiola, won't deal with Mina Raiola players. Whether he makes an exception in this case, we'll have to wait and see. I mean, it would be a good exception to make. But yeah, I'd like to see him in the Premier League too. So I do hope you are right to a point. Sean Nichol would rather he was in London as opposed to Manchester. But beggars can't be choosers. He'd be a great addition to the Premier League, no doubt. Uh, just to go over to um, La Liga then as well. I mean, uh, obviously, uh, still fresh in the mind, uh, Nichol, the um, wonderful. Uh, victory that you had over Atletico Madrid uh, was part of you surprised how poor they were given that they are top of La Liga or do you just put it down to part well first of all do you put it down to Chelsea delivering a good performance or do you see it more as La Liga's really dropped its standards over the years it's dropped I guess yes but I, that doesn't mean Atletico are still a good no. team you know they're still one of the best teams in Europe mm-hmm. yes I do think Barcelona and Real Madrid have dropped from their elite levels and we're seeing, you know, less uh, Spanish teams winning the Champions League. 
Sevilla is still rocking up in the Europa League, but they're still doing brilliantly there. Mm. And it's still a strong league. You know, we yeah. can't deny that. In terms of our tie, I was pleased of how good Chelsea were, but it was a mix of Chelsea's excellence and Atletico's poor performances. Mm. They really surprised me at how bad they were, really. You mm. know, they did wrestle every now and then, but the first leg, they barely had a shot on target. The second leg as well, we kept them so quiet. Mm. Over 180 minutes. And for the Simeone side, who, yes, they're renowned for their defensive ability and having that system and, you know, that solid uh, play in midfield and defence, to not see them threaten with um, Jean Felix and Luis Suarez was really, really shocking, especially under such a good manager and with a team that's done so well in Europe. Mm. On the other hand, you know, they should still win the league. I do fancy them to beat Real Madrid and Barcelona mm. to the league title, and it would be a disappointment. And let's be honest, a big, big failure if they don't win it at this point because they've had a fantastic home yeah. formula. I think they, when they came into the Chelsea tie, they'd only lost one game at home all season. Mm. They're the strongest team in Spain. They've got the best players. And Real and Barca aren't good enough to be challenging, not this season at least. So mm. saying Spanish football's dropped off is a bit harsh considering that we're talking about dropping off from winning every single European trophy, dominating everything and being out of our level. It's mm. still one of the best leagues and mm. it's still got those top teams so you know it'll be interesting to see who wins the title and what we see from the Spanish teams going forward no I agree with that I mean it was I remember the reaction after was slightly annoying because and I almost feel bad for saying the drop-off point because all the English pundits were saying oh they're so poor they're so this but in actual fact like you say uh, there are some talented uh players there and, and Atletico have had a phenomenal season actually they started the season so well playing a back three uh, with Trippier as a, a wing back, and he was doing so well. And actually, we were, me and Jordan, were discussing Trippier before uh, as a surprise inclusion, given his ten-game ban, and he's just come back uh, into action. But if Southgate wants to go with wing backs, and Trippier has been predominantly playing as a wing back at times uh, for Simeone this season, then maybe that's a reason why systems and and obviously his World Cup exploits from before. But yeah, no, I think I think you're spot on with that, and um, it was just a shame, I suppose. On, on the other hand, as well in that tie, I suppose Atletico would argue that they lost the first leg due to a wonder goal from Giroud and arguably played a, a game plan that, that, that got, would, would have got a stalemate in most, on most occasions. And then the second leg, they might have argued that Aspilicueta should have seen red and given away a penalty for pulling back on, the, on I think it was Suarez, wasn't it, uh, when he ran through. So, um, again... Absolutely. I- but sorry, but three hours of football and not to score. Like... You know, you can make all the excuses, and I do agree. Yeah, yes, yeah. it should have been a penalty. Yes, they lost yeah. for one the goal. Yeah. But over 180 minutes, yeah. when you've got Felix, Suarez, Goke, mm. Lemar, mm. Carrasco, mm. and you're not scoring a single goal, yes, we've been mm. very good defensively. But it's not even the rest of them. I think mm. overall, they maybe had two, three shots on mm. target total. Mm. That's not good enough. No. If they had, you know, no players or their strikers were injured, you mm. could, you know, spare them their blushes. But they had pretty much a full-strength squad mm. got into the second leg. They had all their attackers, they had all those options, and they didn't score a single goal. So, fair loss, to be honest. Mm, it's the Burnley fan in me that appreciates the 20% possession and zero shots on target. But, um, you know, I suppose... Uh, I mean, they've been called the Spanish Burnley, and I think we've been called the English Atletico. But uh, I don't know who don't know who benefits more from those uh, nicknames. <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think they're probably Martin. Is that a compliment or not? I don't know, actually. It really, I don't think it was intended as well, but I take it as a compliment. Fantastic. Football wasn't, yeah. football wasn't meant to be played all in the same way, by the way. Yeah, you know, be, Viva Le Chandich and Diego Simeone. Let's support Oma. 
managers. Anyway, just to touch actually on you, we touched briefly and just to round this off, uh, Real Madrid and Atletico, they are kind of bouncing back from a sluggish start and Real Madrid a bit less. So Barcelona doing really well now. Messi's a bit like Superman actually at the moment. Um, just to, you know, as I mentioned just before, I was mentioned to you, John, actually, I unfortunately did watch the four hour Justice League and Superman turns up at the end and wins it for the, wins it for the heroes. And when they're getting battered, and I mean that's literally that's literally messy, uh, you know. At times, he, two goals and, a, and an assist in a six-one win over Real Sociedad. Some of his goals recently have been outrageous. In the, you his know, form he, just generally is preposterous, isn't it? I mean, I saw yeah. a stat where he, I think he's been the the. I know who scored isn't necessarily the best uh, kind of stat for it, but he's been man of the who scored man of the match in yeah all but two of the last twenty games or something like that Ridiculous. in the league. It's just. Yeah. Absurd. He's a, he, he's a superhero. I mean, whether he stays at Barcelona or not, he's a, he, he, it's like ripping that. It's all we always thought it'd be like ripping the heart out. But now he's just giving another reminder that it's like that because, uh, you know, he started the season, he was all at sea. Now he's just, just, just unbelievable. Uh, not that we should have ever doubted the best player of the last decade, really, too much. But um, I don't know, Nichelle, I was saying this argument and I still stand by it that for a club like Man City who were linked with him, with the wages that come with it, with his age, with the possibility of injuries in, in the Premier League, I, th- I see it as a big kind of red herring that you, you you go there and you grab it and you think, oh, it's going to be the best thing ever. And it doesn't necessarily turn out as you'd want. But at the same time, can any club really turn the nose up at this amazing generational superstar? Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's it's an interesting debate so with the Spanish teams. For example, you know, can they come back? And Real Madrid and Barcelona really interesting how they've. But let's be honest, there is any drop off in Spain. It's those two. Barcelona really surprised me that mm. they're doing well again because when I saw them against PSG in the Champions League, they were so poor. Mm. Like you would never have seen them lose four one at the Camp Nou no. two three years ago. Mm. So I think they can recover, but I don't think I don't know if Ronald Koeman is the right man for Barcelona. Mm. Zidane is the right man for Real Madrid. You know, if any man is winning three Champions Leagues in a yeah. row, give him that trust and that faith. Koeman with Barcelona, I'm not so I'm not too sure. Mm. You know, they're not on the same level as well. Koeman compared to Zidane, very different mm. managers, different mm. repertoires, different reputations. Mm. But then the question is, who do they go for? Mm. You know, I don't. They're not necessarily going to part ways with Koeman at this point. It would take an almighty failure, and mm. they're not necessarily going to go out and try to hire Ancelotti or Jurgen Klopp. <laughs> And it depends who's available in the market. And really, I don't think there's anyone. So they've just got to do as well as they can with what they've got. They've been linked with Xavi, haven't they? Uh, Juan Laporta, the new, uh, the new, mm. the new, the new um, president, has, has sort of signaled that he would like Xavi to be the manager at some point. Um, and I suppose that'd go in the same mould as Zidane, wouldn't it, Jordan? Briefly, as I say, because time. But it would go in the same mould as uh, Zidane in the sense that kind of a, a relatively inexperienced manager. Uh, coming into a very, very big challenge. Uh, do you think that could pay off? Would it keep Messi at the club? Well, I mean, it could keep Messi at the club. I mean, they've had success in the past, obviously, with going for, for former Barcelona players. <laughs> and I think they've just continued to try and hit the next Pep Guardiola, really. Yeah, uh, yeah I don't think Koeman's the right man for the job either. I think I would get rid of him as soon as possible if I was in charge at Barcelona. But that's just me with my Everton hat on, looking at what he did for us. I just don't think he's ever going to be the right man for, no. for any club, really. 
Uh, yeah, I think I think Xavi could work. Again, he fits in with the midfielder uh, premise as well, so it's it's a good fit. <laughs> I don't think he's going to be the man for any club, really. My word, uh, don't, don't give him a reference if he comes <laughs> comes asking for you. My word. Um, but yeah, no, that that nicely rounds off the four topics. In I'm going to say the first three were quite were, were well positioned into 15 minutes. The second one has overlapped. The fourth one, sorry, has overlapped a bit slightly, but that doesn't matter because you know uh, important discussion is more important than than getting uh, squeezing things into 15-minute segments. And as I, as I said before the pop, before we went on air, 60-minute makeover was never actually done in 60 minutes. And anyone who believes that, well, just Google it. Um, but anyway, my thanks, to, uh, my thanks to Michelle, my thanks to Jordan, and my thanks to the Blue Yeti uh, for providing some HD quality vocal vocal cords from myself uh even never usually this good uh but yeah no thanks for joining <laughs> thanks for joining us nichelle it's been it's been brilliant you've given us a really good insight it's chelsea switzerland and also into 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 uh european football as well so it's, it's been really good having you on yeah my pleasure to come on thank you very much for having me really enjoyed that discussion if you've enjoyed what you heard today you can check out all of my work on nichelle's blog and nichellesblog.com and you can follow me on twitter at nichelle underscore sp where i put all of my work whether it's articles, videos, podcasts like this, you can check it out all there and make sure you follow the podcast here. But thank you very much for having me today. Really enjoyed it. No, buzzing. Jonathan, you got any links to share? Anyway, that's uh, all we've got time for. So uh, <laughs> that was that was a really good. Uh, that, no, that was really good. And, and no, Jordan, Jordan, if you do want to message Jordan, then just message the pod. People might oh. complain that I've got my my Twitter on uh, private anyway. Yeah, you do. Fair. You do. I, I, don't, I, I don't. I don't understand why you've got that Twitter. I still don't understand. But uh, if you want to message Jordan, message the pod. If you want to message me, message me at the Johnny Bentley. <laughs> only one. <laughs> There's probably more than one. But uh, yeah, no, they're all the eyes. There we go. To get that in every episode. And yeah, join us next week for more great discussion. Fifteen minutes or less or more in certain instances where the content is necessary and uh, take care, stay safe and uh, thanks for listening, everyone. All right.